This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Here's your host, Alex Nottingham. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Nottingham, founder of All-Star Dental Academy. We have Heather Nottingham, our VP of training with us. Hello. Hello. Okay, so we are going to talk about the five common mistakes with dental front office training and how we're going to fix them. So there are many training programs out there for multiple positions, clinical, and even now there are some on practice management that are online. So the issue that we see is the difference between training where you have just a bunch of content out there versus a systematic process designed for sustained success. So the really tricky part is how do we fit the training within the culture, within the practice and maintain enthusiasm. So we'll look at these five mistakes and see how we can overcome them and provide some suggestions. So the first is a sporadic or lengthy training sessions because most training tends to be traditionally we go to a seminar, it's an all day event, or we have a consultant that comes into the office, but what happens when they leave? Or what happens when we go to a seminar and we get all this information? Now I'm not against seminars, they're good for camaraderie, but there's very little that we're able to put back or apply. And they're not consistent enough to be able to continue the learning process because you get some improvement when you're learning, but then some will drop and you have to maintain that. So I have some of my history or, or my background regarding this. So Heather, tell me a little bit about you know, your perspective on, on this mistake, on what you see and any advice regarding the sporadic nature or the lengthy mm-hmm. training sessions or just not being consistent. Right. Yeah, I think that there's a good book out there called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bicycle at a Seminar. And I think there's a reason for that because when learning a skill, it needs to be constantly reinforced and you get better and better at it. I mean, eventually back back when I was 16, I was learning to drive a car. I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that because you have to take all these things and you have to break down each step. But now we drive cars like it's, it's second nature. So it's the same thing, but we need to be constantly reinforcing these bite-sized bits of learning. And one of the things that, you know, I'll talk to dentists or teams and they'll say, well, we did a seminar, we did training five years ago or 10 years ago. One even said, we did training 20 years ago and we're, we're pretty good from it. And I'll say to the dentist, well, imagine if I was a heart doctor or even a dentist and a patient came to me and wanted to look at my credentials and they asked me, well, when was the last time that you did continuing education? And I said, oh, I did 10, 20 years ago. They'd probably be running out the door. So just the same as we need to be reinforcing the clinical skills, we certainly need to be reinforcing the verbal communication skills, the training skills, the office systems. So shorter bite-sized increments in, you know, once or twice a week is ideal. 
when I was in college, as you know, both of us had less than ideal SAT scores. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I barely got into to college. They put me in the probationary program. But I learned to study and I ended up, I never had a cram and I ended up graduating summa cum laude 4.0 GPA. And I think part of that has to do with my smarts, but a lot of it was mm -hmm. being strategic. And I learned that when you just stick with something, you do little by little that we see a big improvement in retention. So like I mentioned, I never crammed. And so what I, and what we recommend at Officer Dental Academy is just 20 minutes a week once you finish your onboarding process of you learn a little something, you apply a little something. Like you said, riding a bike at a seminar, you got to also practice it. It's not just watching video. I'm not saying 20 minutes of watching videos is going to revolutionize your life. It will help. Mm -hmm. better than nothing, but you do a little bit of, of study and you apply and you talk about it. Our yes. big thing, All-Star, and my passion, obsession is implementation. How do we get things done? Because you're going to have all the content in the world, but if you don't have the way to get it done, it doesn't mean anything. And if the philosophy mm -hmm. is not appropriate, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So that's where, when I make these recommendations, they're based on research. They're based on real world experience. They're based on things that we see patterns. And my buddy, Tony Robbins is all about seeing what the best are doing and replicating it. It's called modeling. If you model what the best do, you end up creating what the best get. If you do what everybody else is doing, you get what everybody else gets. And typically that's not what you want. So what are the best doing? And that's what we're out here to, to teach you. We want you to be all stars. So, so the first mistake, sporadic or lengthy training sessions. And in some research we did with the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry and this digital dentist, we saw that 97% of dental offices train less than once a year. So it, it's mm -hmm. built in on being sporadic. And when I say 97%, that's focused on things to do with customer service. And nearly everybody I ask says that that's important, but it's not being done. Why? Why is that? So the second mistake is the one and done, kind of what you were alluding to, Heather, that mm -hmm. once I learn it, I'm done. And, and this is very frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. So I know you see a lot because our big thing is when, when we get people trained in our program, they see an improvement. Like we'll see call scores go up and improve. Mm -hmm. And when they stop training, they drop. And, or they think, well, now I learned it and I went through a course, I'm done with phone skills. Mm -hmm. I'm done with this. And I know it. And I always say that when you say, I know, it's a kiss of death. So we really work hard with and this isn't trying to be self-serving. Obviously, the more you train, it's better for us. But it's it's reality because it's it's little by little. We don't we're not big on oh you have to spend all this money on training and because you sometimes the more you spend the less results you're going to get. Mm -hmm. It's it's a continuous burn, a slow burn like a candle. You keep it going, and you just continue to do that little by little. So it's not one and done. 
in the research, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at anything. So do you think a couple hours of phone training and rapport-based training is going to get you where you need to be? So instead, you do it, you measure it, you do it again, and you continue to recertify. So tell me about this, this concept or the importance, Heather, of mm -hmm. continuous and never-ending improvement, always mm -hmm. learning and training. Always, always be training. That's our sort of our motto. A, it's not ABC, it's ABT, always be training. You know, right. it's like if, you, if we could go to the gym just once a year and get buff, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's the constant reinforcement and making sure that we're we're not just saying i know like you said i think that and i've written a blog about it maybe you can post the oh, link really or something like that sure. but it was talking about but i already know all this stuff mm. and what i always say is there's a difference between knowing and doing and doing something well so i can know it for example I, you know, I watch tennis or different things. I can know how it works. I can watch them. I can see how they hit the ball. I can know the rules of the game, but there's a much different thing knowing it versus actually getting out there and physically doing it, carrying out the verbiage, carrying out the task, carrying out the system. And then there's a big difference also between doing it and doing it well. So like you said, becoming a master of it and even myself, I still train every single week on verbiage sales. It's a never ending process. You cannot stop going to the gym and stay in shape. You have to continuously work. And as you, you're always going back to the basics because that's where the, you know, basics are where everything kind of comes from. So the same thing they say in karate is when you go from a white belt and you go through all the different color belts to a black belt, eventually you go back to white belt again. And a black True. belt is just a white belt that got really dirty. <laughs> and that I like that. Sometimes yeah, what happens is when you get to the black belt mentality, and this is for people that follow karate, if you get to that mentality, it's gotten dirty and mudded and you know clouded with, I know, and my perception of how things are, and this is how it should be. And I, you know, I've been doing this for so long and I've been in dentistry for 30 years and I know what to say and I know what to do. But having that beginner's mindset where we keep ourselves humble and we always stay open to, let me try it this way and let me see how it works this way and tweaking different things and always improving ourselves. That's where the success really, really stays. That's true. That's very true. I, oh, I like, and I really like that analogy. I've never heard that before. You're coming, coming up with great, great things here. Very good. Very, very yes. good stuff. I'm a wise Yoda. You are wise. And, and that reminds me in many of the spiritual traditions and religious traditions, it's all about humility. It's about coming back, becoming a beginner. It's never, I know it's always as Socrates alluded to the, the more I know, the less, less I know, the more I realize I, I don't know. So the third mistake in dental front office training is, and this can apply, I say front office, but when we talk, this can apply to the entire team because our training does apply to the entire team. And we make the case that, quote, front office skills, phone skills, scheduling, patient experience can apply to everybody because it leads up to case acceptance. People ask me, what's my number one thing for improving case acceptance? I say phone skills. 
So the third mistake is unethical sales training. So this has been pretty rampant in dentistry. And for many years, they're flat out say it's sales training. So now you have to be a little more careful because since we've come on the scene and we kind of <laughs> were pushing against this, people are calling it something different, but it's still sales training. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. And, but doesn't matter what you call it, it has to do with what's going on. And the sales training is this get them in philosophy. We want to get them in of any cost. We want to spend only a limited amount of time with them. And that's it. And that's not a good formula for success because it's going to end up leading to poor reviews, broken appointments. And you might see an increase in your revenue, but a decrease in your net income. So you're, you're working harder and getting less. And so don't do it. We tend to advocate the very important patient pyramid, VIP, where you're spending a lot on rapport skills and getting to know people. So Heather, any, any commenting on unethical sales training? Yeah, I feel like the better you connect with the patient at the beginning, it's like, we're not just looking to get a bunch of patients on the schedule because that looks good. You know, it's not, we took our practices from this many patients to this many patients. We do that. Certainly you know, we're certainly in increasing call conversions, which is very important, but it's not just that it doesn't stop there. And that's what a lot of the sales training companies do is it's all about those numbers, but we're saying, well, that's great that you have all those patients on the schedule. But how many of those people are showing up for appointments? Right. How many of them are showing up excited for their appointment? Because just getting them in, you might get a bunch of people in for a free consult, but how many of those people are staying a patient of the practice? And I want to interject though, you can, you could have it both. You can have your kick at yes. you too. I mean, our yes. dentists, I see some that are tripling, quadrupling new patient numbers. Right. And increasing revenue by 30 plus percent. This is actually yeah. quite common. Mm -hmm. But the, I think if you emphasize only that, you're missing, you're missing the end result. Like one yeah. of the scary statistics I'm seeing in case acceptance is you might see an increase in case acceptance in some training or some philosophies. But when you really look into it, full or restorative treatment is not increased it's the little things that have increased that are not necessarily making you the money or the bottom mm -hmm. line. You're just keeping busy and yeah. keeping busy is you may feel better initially, but when you see your paycheck, you go, I'm working for what? <laughs> so you, I think you should never have to settle. You should be able to get an increase in your patient flow and you should have them accept and be happy and refer. Right. That's the end objective is you Anything want them less, to become we'll not do. <laughs> right. You want them to become a part of the dental family. Yeah. You want them happy. You want them staying a patient for life ultimately and coming back, you know, when they have their treatment, you don't want them to stop coming and say, Well, I'm gonna go somewhere else for my hygiene. You want them to continuously come to the practice. And I think with the sales training approach, it's looking at patients as numbers versus people that have problems that we can help solve. And what it does is if we're commoditizing patients and we're commoditizing dentistry and we're saying, just get them in at any cost, 
then what happens is it also degrades the entire institution of dentistry where you know essentially people are already not trusting of dentists a lot of people don't like going to the dentist they feel uncomfortable going to the dentist you read all these stories about lately dentists that did all these fillings that were unnecessary just because they needed to make a paycheck or you know charging unnecessary treatments or processing insurance you know doing insurance fraud so people are hearing all these different things and so they're already skeptical so we need to do our job to really focus on working and treating them with integrity that's why our training is called training with integrity because it's about the relationship between us and the patient about helping them creating that you know facilitating that relationship and you know when you have dental practices that are essentially being trained to lie to patients you know where some of these sales training that are out there say blatantly if they ask do you take this insurance say oh yeah we take this insurance come on in we'll figure it out but then when the patient gets to the practice they find out that they don't take the insurance at all or that you know maybe they're out of network and so they get this you know get slapped with a copay at the end of their appointment then the patient is upset they're going to write a bad review and i've heard very well known trainers out there that advocate for this approach even dentists that advocate for this approach and we say well what happens when the patient comes in and figures out that you don't take their insurance they say oh we just write it off right like, you can't do yeah. that yeah that's not right it's manipulation so, yeah yeah so that's not you know we're completely and, and, against and, and that here's the, thing. here's the thing i have compassion for the dentists that do this and even the trainers that do this because i think it's just you're 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 looking short-sighted and there's a lot of pressure to stand out to compete to get those patients but you have to keep a long-term view and you got to say okay I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit and do it right because I know that when this formula, if you follow the formula, right, where you're providing great customer service, you're doing the things right in the long run, you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. You almost have to say to yourself, you know, let's say your goal is a million dollars in the bank in five years. You say it's good. It's going to get there. And, but I know I just have to follow the steps. If you could say to yourself, I guarantee it, you, you know, even if kind of act as if, it's going, it's going to be there. And you then do the work as if it's there. This way you're not compromising. doesn't mean you become mm -hmm. complacent. But if you, if you make some of these short end decisions that are deceptive, you end up with lawsuits, you end up with bad reviews, and that will hurt the long-term brand. Now, the last two issues of what not to do are mystery calls for and fifth scripts on the phone. This is the big thing, mystery calls and scripts. So with mystery calls, we're just gonna kind of lump them together. So those who don't know what that is, mystery calls is where someone calls your office, either you pay them to do it, or most of the time you don't pay them to do it, you opt in for something, and now they're calling their office and they then send you a report how you failed, okay? Problem with mystery calls, they came from a good concept. They were secret shopper, calls mm -hmm. that were done in retail to improve customer service but now they kind of say hey let me show you how terrible you are <laughs> and the, the team doesn't know it's coming doctor often doesn't know it's coming and then it shows here's how bad you are and scares somebody to make a decision now you can scare people to make decisions 
you can manipulate them to make decisions, but in the long run, that will hurt you. Again, we're thinking short-term versus long run. So I don't have, we don't advocate mystery calls. We don't do them. And I think that either A, if you're getting mystery calls in the, in the mail saying how bad you are, the problem with that is they can be skewed to, to make you look bad because they can they create the criteria. And I, I wouldn't advocate doing this to your team, a mystery call, unless they consent. But I'll give you a better mm -hmm. choice. I would do real calls. You can, do, you can record phone calls. You can provide a whisper to let people know they're being recorded. There are HIPAA some HIPAA compliant. HIPAA compliant. And you get feedback that way from real calls. So you can't, you can't really dispute that. The other issue with, with recording phone calls, mystery versus live calls, is when you grade them, you want to use a system that's based on rapport and also based, it's supportive. It doesn't put people down. It's constructive, not destructive. We happen to have a system like that at All Star where we grade phone calls and we do it real live calls in a constructive way. Our framework is built by the feedback of dentists and team members so they feel they look forward to the feedback versus afraid because a lot of people are afraid of being judged and put down and all those things. We be very, very mindful and careful because you can hurt people deeply if you don't do it the right way and they will potentially leave or quit and say ne some negative things about you. But we always want to choose a compassionate approach when we do things, because in the long run, that will work. Okay, so that's when it comes to mystery calls. So any comments about that in terms of the mystery call and the recommendation before I move on to scripts? No, no? just don't okay. do mystery calls. Don't do mystery there. calls. <laughs> yeah. The, now scripts, and I, I know you have a, a quite a bit to say about that, and, and I'm also going to put a link in as well depending on where you're you're hearing us, whether it's a podcast or video or blog, we put this everywhere. And I'll make sure there's a link where you can, we have another blog that we talked about why scripts are killing your practice and some suggestions there. So what are scripts? Scripts are essentially scripts. They are a set of, of verbiage. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say verbiage because I would say they're a set of text of you mm -hmm. read this verbatim that's the difference verbatim and this will allow you to succeed on the phone i have this special script that you're going to know that's going to uh, uh the magical your, script the magical <laughs> script that when you say everybody says hello and they give you their credit card information and their bank account information and your yeah. whatever be careful again this is the snake oil concept the sales stuff scripts do not work well because they're scripted and you end up sounding like a robot and you don't, you're not able to conform to adjust by the situation. Instead, we, we recommend verbiage and what I, we call verbiage is suggested verbiage things that, or, and even more important than verbiage is a process for handling a phone mm -hmm. call. We teach a great call process. We talk about this in our programs. I'll mention at the end of this of where you can learn more about the, the recall process. But essentially, the when you're using a process with suggested verbiage, we recommend you change the verbiage to fit what you feel comfortable with, what your demographic feel comfortable with, and based on the caller. And you practice and you role play. Scripts are lazy. I'll do this script. 
and it's not going to sound good. It's not going to work. And how do you handle the situation? So you, you, you can't skip steps, everyone. Mm. You got to follow a process. You follow a process, you adapt your verbiage and you role play and you do it again and again and again, and you keep adapting your verbiage based on who you're talking to. And eventually that goes back to the 10,000 hours. The more you practice, the more it becomes natural. People hear Heather on the phone and in our verbiage examples, and they go, how do you do that? Well, she spent decades practice. practicing it <laughs> and hearing her phone calls. Now, in the dental office, Heather would record her own calls mm -hmm. and listen to them and again and again and again. And she didn't like what she heard, right? <laughs> for her Nobody voice. likes listening. Yeah, listening yeah. to their own. My point being, you follow a process, you adapt, and you role play. You have to practice with it. That's how it becomes. It's got to become muscle memory. Yeah. The verbiage and the process are kind of like a uh, a little kind of supportive training wheels to get you there. But eventually, it becomes second nature. But you follow mm -hmm. a process. So scripts, don't do them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, you, if you call AT and T. You'll, customer yeah. service, you'll hear what it sounds like to have exactly. a scripted person talking exactly. with you. It's very frustrating because, and I'm sure team members, listen, I used to call and verify insurance benefits all the time and I'd sit on hold and wait. And then finally I'd get after 20 minutes to the person that's going to help me. And I'm asking these a little bit outside the box questions. And they're basically reading back the same thing over and over again to me. And I'm like, you're not listening to what I'm saying to you. I, I'm I love, asking you a question and you're reading off a script. Listen right. to what I'm <laughs> I was like, we can, we can definitely, whenever they say, we can definitely help you with that. Yeah. They never help me with anything. <laughs> I need to transfer you to five more people that you're going to give the same because, information because to. Because they probably sound, and, and, and listen, we can help you. That's wonderful verbiage. But don't say it if you know you're not going to help them mm -hmm. because you're dishonest or you're you're being disingenuous. So, yeah. yeah, there's some things you can say, like, I guarantee you're going to have blah, 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 and they're going to feel wonderful. But if you can't back it up mm -hmm. there for those you, Heather and I like to watch The Office. And there's an episode where for those who've who've seen it, where Michael, the. Uh, one of the office managers or, or regional managers was at a uh, an event where the company was in bankruptcy and they're trying to tell shareholders what's going on. And so this manager, you know, says on the microphone, we're going to give you a five part plan and it's going to fix everything. And they're clapping and screaming. Mm -hmm. And then the, the CEO is like, why do you promise that? We can't give them that. They were all happy. But wait till they find out later that there is no plan. So don't be a politician yeah. and tell people what you think they should hear and then you don't deliver. It's the old saying, what is it? Uh, uh, what is the, the, the expression where promise under promise and over deliver? Oh, and over deliver. Yeah. yeah. So let's end with that. Those are the, those are the five things to avoid. We talked about some other things to improve on. You want to learn more about the great call process. I recommend, I'll put a link as well for the allstardentalpractice.com. You can learn the three steps to an all-star practice. So a lot of great resources to help you. Plus on that webinar, I give an example of a verbiage of a process that we go through. So you can get some ideas for that. Heather, thank you as always. Thank Until you. Until next time, go, go out, there out there and, and be, be an all-star. All -star. Bye. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.